of a sermon series called Jesus. And um, our series verse comes out of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Does that sound like someone you want to get to know better? Man, to me too. It just sounds like I just want to get to know Jesus all over again. Here's the thought for this whole series. We're four weeks in, and here's the thought. More than just facts about Jesus, this is an invitation to a deeper relationship with him. There's your invitation. We, uh, we're, we've been talking about him. We've been talking about the first week. It was Jesus, the son. We realized that a father actually gave his son. And that was Easter Sunday morning. We talked about that. The, the week two, we talked about Jesus the human. And we realized that he was 100% God and 100% human at the same time. Go figure, right? Just one of those theological conundrums. How do you do that? Well, he did it. 100% human, 100% God. And, and here was the thought that week. Because Jesus is human, he understands me and gives me an attainable example to follow. And then last week, week three, we talked about the shepherd. Anybody here for the shepherd? It was one of my favorite weeks. The fact that Jesus is my shepherd assures me that he provides for me and he protects me. And so this week, drumroll please, Jesus the teacher. We're going to talk about Jesus the teacher today. And uh, 48 times in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as the teacher. Did you know that? In my humble opinion, I think he was the greatest teacher ever. I know we've got some people in here that would say that you're a pretty good teacher, and I agree with you. Jesus was a great teacher, even better than me. Did you know that? Great teacher. The cool thing about Jesus is even, not all atheists, but, but lots of atheists, even though they don't believe in God and, and, and all of this type of stuff, they would respect Jesus. That he was a great philosopher, that he was a great teacher. They would even say that. They could at least claim that he was a good teacher. Matthew chapter 13, verse 54 says this. When he, Jesus, had come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Matthew 22, verse 33 and when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. I mean, it goes on and on. They would, verse after verse, the multitudes would come and they would be astonished. John chapter 7, verse 32 says, The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. When you fast forward to verse 45, then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Can you imagine? The police officers come to arrest you and they stop and they decide that they're going to hold off because nobody spoke like this man. He was amazing. 
I invite you to get to know Jesus. Today's thought is this. Jesus is the greatest teacher, and he still teaches us through his word. He was the greatest teacher, and he still teaches us through this word. In fact, maybe today is more of an invitation for you to dive into the word. Would you take me up on that? Would you just say, okay, Pastor Jonathan, I'm just going to read the word. Because I, I bet you anything, as you open up the word, Jesus is going to teach you. And I'm going to talk to you about him as a teacher. I was remembering some of my teachers growing up. Uh, any of you have, like, favorite teachers? Like, there was at least one that you're like, that was my favorite teacher, right? Yeah? Was there anybody that was, like, your worst teacher ever? Anybody have stories about their worst teachers? I, I, I was, I'm not going to name names. Uh, it's recorded. But the, I, I, and, and they don't live in Kearney. But, so maybe, but anyways, the, my, the, I remember this teacher... And he was, the, um, he was the chemistry teacher, science teacher, and somehow I passed his class. Somehow. I mean, it, it, was, it was by the grace of God, and come to find out, maybe a little bit of finagling on this teacher's part. He, he was the chemistry teacher. He also happened to be the football teacher and the track coach, and I was not the, the sports type person. I know, I'm, I'm tall. Do you play basketball? Are you, are you prejudiced against tall people? Is that what? So anyways, he was, he was football coach. He was track coach, all that stuff. He always tried to get me to, to either play football or track. You're so tall, Jonathan. You'd be a great runner. Why don't you just come? I didn't want to do that. The only way I was going to run is if I was like chasing a basketball or if I was chasing a girl. One of the two that you get me to run. But other than that, other than that, and finally caught one. So finally caught one. Anyway, so, the, so, this, so this, this teacher, uh, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a football player, so, uh, and all the football players somehow got good grades in his class, and I wasn't a track star, and somehow all the track people got good grades in his, hat, in his class, and, but he found out that some, he, my name is Jonathan Lombard, and somehow there was a philosopher named Peter Lombard. And he thought, you know what? I think that's good enough. If you're related somehow in the family tree to Peter Lombard, you get to pass my class. And I passed his class because I was related to Peter Lombard. I know, I know. Guys, isn't that terrible? It's, told, it's terrible. Here's my, here's my favorite teacher. My favorite teacher, and I will say her name, Mrs. Templeton. Mrs. Templeton, she taught drama and theater and all this stuff, and it was great. And so I took her class. Her husband was a great teacher too, Mr. Templeton, right? Go figure. And, uh, and so Miss, Mr. Templeton taught Bible. I went to a Christian school, taught Bible. Mrs. Templeton, though, one of my favorite teachers ever. And she, uh, so she, in, in teaching drama and theater, I was involved in, even, I don't know if they do it in Nebraska, but they would do speech where um, you would travel and win awards for speech and, and you'd be on these speech teams and all this. And, and so these drama performances and things. Well, I was, uh, um, I, I had this speech out of uh, the book To Kill a Mockingbird where I was uh, the lawyer and I was doing this. And so I, so I would do this lawyer thing and the speech and it was great, but I would never like win. I'd, or, or I'd get like third place or something like that. And so finally, um, right towards the, the end of the school year, uh, like last quarter or whatever, she has a great idea. She's like, let's switch it up. I know that you know this speech and you're doing okay in it, but what if we just like switched the whole thing up and did a brand new speech and we just, we just got you ready to like take state? You, you want to take state? You want to like win the state speech tournament? I was like, uh, anything for you, Mrs. Templeton, what do you want? So she, have you ever heard of the elephant man? There was, 
the elephant man. Well, there's this whole story of the elephant man. And this was a complicated um, speech because there was like five or six different English accents, all different uh, accents, all different characters. Some were like proper and some were just were, you know, whatever. And, and so she's like, I know this is going to be hard, but I want you to do like five or six different characters, all different accents. And I think we could do this together. And I think you could win state with this piece. So long story short, she worked with me and worked with me and worked with me. And this teacher brought it out of me. And we get to the state speech tournament. And guess what? I got first place in state. Everybody, right, right, right? Nice. I love, I love Mrs. Templeton. But even in all of that, Jesus, the greatest teacher ever. He's obviously the greatest teacher, in my opinion. He didn't just teach truth. He is truth. And I want to tell you three things about Jesus that really made him the greatest teacher. And I want to show you not only how he was the greatest teacher, but he still is and he's still teaching us through his word. Again, an invitation to dive into his word. He, number one, he taught authoritatively. Jesus taught authoritatively. Matthew chapter 7 in verse 28 and 29, it says this, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And, and you, when, you, when you study about the scribes, the, the scribes were ones that they would just repeat what the rabbis were saying. And, and it was, and, and no knocking the scribes, no knocking the, the rabbis or anything, but back then it was really, really, really boring. It was just repeating information. It was, they, they, were, they weren't allowed to come up with anything new. And if they did come up with something new, they had to make a law about it. I mean, they had hundreds of laws that were to enforce the Ten Commandments. I mean, and, and so it would just get boring. It would just get boring. And so they didn't get fresh revelation. They didn't get fresh bread. And then Jesus walks in. And it's like, we've never heard this before. We, he, he talks as though he's one that has authority. This is amazing. And, and that's what they would find. They would see that right here in Matthew 7. And, and he talks as one having authority, not like the scribes. These religious leaders, they had heard hundreds of sermons. Any of you heard hundreds of sermons? <laughs> right? Any of you been to the church like these scribes uh, were a part of? Yeah? <laughs> Don't say that that's this church. Please, please, please. Man, they had heard hundreds of sermons. And have you ever heard a sermon or, or whatever, and you just felt like, man, you know, there just wasn't life on it for whatever reason. Just a bunch of information. It was, you know, just like they were peddling information, but there wasn't revelation of the Holy Spirit for whatever reason. And that's what they were living in. And then Jesus comes, and he teaches, and they were astonished at his teaching. There's a famous preacher named Spurgeon and he said this, he said, two things surprised them, the substance of his teaching and the manner of it. They had never heard such doctrine before. The precepts which he had given were quite new to their thoughts, but their main astonishment was at his manner. There was certainty, a power, a weight about it, such as they had never seen. Good old Spurgeon. You can see something new and fresh every time you read the Bible. Did you know that? Like, it just comes alive every time. 
This is the main way Jesus teaches us. The, that same spirit of revelation that rested on Jesus as he would teach in their synagogues, that same spirit of revelation that would rest on him as he would, as he would sit down on a mountain and teach the masses, that same spirit of revelation rests on you and rests on me. And as we're reading his word and as Jesus is teaching us through his word, all of a sudden it's like, I've never seen that before. Have you ever read the word like that? And if you haven't read the word, just, just do it. Just pick it up. Just read it. You, you can either do it like this or there's also an app for that, right? And, and, and you just read it. And Jesus just starts to teach you. And the first way he starts to teach you is authoritatively. In other words, you read it and it's like, yes, sir. It was like he taught with authority. There, there was, it, it, there was a, it was like a command. It was like, I, yes, I'll do anything you tell me to do. That's fine, Jesus. He taught with authority. We already talked about his humanity, but the question is, is how did he teach with such authority? A few weeks ago when we talked about humanity, we, we realized that he operated 100% as man here, even though at any moment he could have operated as God, right? At any moment, he could have called 10,000 angels. At any moment, he could have pulled on his divinity. And, and oper- but, but he operated as a human to be the perfect example. And so how did he operate in authority? He operates in, in authority the same way that we get to access. And, and, and here it is. Jesus operated in such authority because he was connected to the Father through identity. You know, I, I used to tell students this all the time. I'd say, if you knew who you really were in Christ, you'd be dangerous. Do you believe that? Like, if you really knew who you were in Christ, if all of a sudden there was just a revelation and you really knew in your heart who you were in Christ, if all of the, the rejection stuff, right, was taken away, Kevin, if, if all of the abandonment stuff was dealt with, if, if all of the, the heart wounds were taken care of, and we put all of that aside, all of the assignment of the enemy that wants to distract us and make us think less of ourselves, if we put it all aside and all of a sudden you realize who you were in Christ, you'd be dangerous. In fact, I think that's probably why Satan works overtime to affect your identity, to make you think less of yourself. Because if you really knew, if you really, really knew You'd be dangerous. So you know how Jesus taught with authority? He knew who he was. He knew who he was. He knew his father. And out of connection with his father who gave him identity, he was able to walk in and teach with authority. It was huge. There's a, another aspect of this is, is that uh, not only did he know who he was, but divine revelation and inspiration brings a certain a layer of truth that's unlike other. It's like when you become an expert in your area, you're an authority on the subject. And so not only did he walk in authority out of his identity, but he knew what he was talking about. The Bible says he was the way, the truth, and the life. And so he didn't just know who he was, but he also knew truth, and he knew it so well that he was like, like I've never heard anyone talk like this before. I've never heard a spin on that before. He, it's like he, he knows the same scriptures we've been reading for hundreds of years, but he, he says it in a way like it's like he knows this. It's like he's an expert. It's like he's an authority. On the subject, do you want to get to know this Jesus? I'd like to get to know this Jesus. He's the greatest teacher, and we have his teachings right here. Wow. What if I told you that Jesus was going to be our guest speaker next week? No, I know. 
I know that he's going to, you know, someday he's going to come back, right? And we know we, we've got all the theology about, you know, revelation. And he's going to come on a, my daughter, remember I told you before, Jesus is coming back on a white horse. Did you know that? I'm like, where, who told you he was coming back on a white horse? My, my little four-year-old. He's coming back. He's coming back on a white horse. And he's going to fi- fire in his eyes is what she told me. Didn't know that one. That's cool. I, I, I did. I did. But. And so he's coming back. I know all that stuff. But what if, what if Jesus... And I know the Spirit of the Lord is here, and the Holy Spirit's here, and, and, and Jesus is here because he's in us. But what if Jesus, in person, was going to be our guest speaker next week? Would you come? Would you come if you knew Jesus was going to be here? Is this a trick question, Jonathan? Uh, like, for real. What if I told you that he'd be in your prayer closet tomorrow morning? Man, this is huge. The greatest teacher ever is ready to sit down with you and start teaching you the moment you want to just pick it up and read the moment you want to sit down with the living word of god jesus would you just teach me this is huge you want to know number two well tell me jonathan tell me number two number two is this not only did he teach authoritatively he also taught practically he taught practically he didn't teach a bunch of religious nonsense right have you ever heard a bunch of religious nonsense and you're like, I do not, I, 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 I see your lips moving and there's sound coming out, but there's a little bit of a disconnect because I have no idea what you're talking about. And sometimes when there's religious nonsense, you just sit there and smile and nod because you want to act like you're, you understand, oh yeah, I'm spiritual too, just like you, right? right? You know, but at the end of the day, you're just like, that's just a bunch of religious mamba jamba, right? Is it just me? He didn't talk in religious nonsense. He taught practically. Watch this. He took complicated concepts and made them tangible and understandable. I love that about Jesus. As I listen to Jesus, as he teaches me, as I'm reading his word, he takes these complicated things that we could just make all religious, and he brings them down to earth, and he just teaches me practically. He teaches you practically. It's really cool. People could choose not to follow him, and there's lots of people that chose not to follow him because his teachings were hard, but it wasn't for lack of understanding. I mean, John chapter 6, a whole crew decided to just leave and say we're, they, were follow, they were disciples. They were ones that would follow him anywhere, and they chose to leave because the teachings were hard, but not because they didn't understand he taught so practically. He wasn't just this thing, this ambiguous ideas up in the air, and you had to be super spiritual under, to understand. He taught in such a way that you would understand. It was huge. You, you want to know some examples? Like, like in Matthew 5, he would say things like this. If you're mad at somebody, wait, listen, listen close. Have you ever been mad at somebody? He'd say this. He said, if you're mad at somebody, don't come to church and pretend. Go get it right with that person first. Was that good? That was Jesus. That was just just so practical. If you're mad at somebody, go get it right with them. Don't come to church and pretend like everything's all right. What about Matthew 6? He says this. He says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. If God can take care of the birds, he can take care of you too. Is that, is, that, I mean, is that deep? That's deep. I mean, that's like, wait, wait, say that again? I don't understand. No, I mean, that was, it's just so practical. What about, you, you go on to Matthew 6, what, what about, here, here, 
here's a, this one's a little bit complicated. You can't serve both God and money. Hmm. We, everyone, I love how awake you are today. It's really, uh, it, this is great. I feel like I'm in one of those churches that talk back. This is awesome. This is awesome. Oh, he, he, what about this? He, he would go on, he would say things like, stop being selfish. He would say, start being generous. Right? I mean, they could choose not to follow him. They could choose not to believe. But Jesus, he was just practical. He would talk about marriage. You want, you want information on your marriage? He talked about marriage. You want information about family? He talked about family. You want to know what to do about finances? He talked about finances. You're a businessman? Good news. He talked about business. You want some advice on successful relationships? Right in there. He talks about successful relationships in the Bible. And one of the famous sermons of all time, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right at the end, the whole thing is in red letters, meaning that Jesus was talking. And right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He basically just says, whoever hears what I'm saying and doesn't do what I'm saying, it's like if you were to go out and build a house on sand and then the rains come and then the house gets washed away that's like as as if you were to like hear what I just said and go away and don't do it he's like on the contrary if you were to build a house on a solid foundation and this is really deep isn't it if you were to build a house on a solid foundation Then the winds could come and the storms could come and it's going to keep standing strong. That's like the person who hears what I say and goes and does it. I love this about Jesus. He just taught so practically. You want to know number three? Some of you are like, please, let's get this over with. (laughs) Number three, watch this. He taught graphically. He taught graphically. This is probably my favorite part about how Jesus taught. I know he taught authoritatively and he taught practically. And that was, that's great. It gets me right between the eyes and then I can understand it. I love that. But I love the presentation. I love how he taught graphically. He, was, he never gave dull, boring lectures. Did you ever have that in high school or college? It was just like, wah, 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 wah. I'm, no, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So he never, never gave dull, boring lectures. In fact, you remember like the, the, when the feeding of the 5,000, and then there was another one like it, the feeding of the 4,000, and, and there was these huge miracles. When they counted these miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, it was just men. It wasn't, didn't include women and children. For both, I mean, there was thousands of people that got supernaturally fed from just a few, few loaves and a few fish. Incredible miracle. But even more incredible than this, well, I, I don't know more, but this is, it's right up there. These people, they were so drawn in and astonished by his teachings that they willingly and knowingly followed him into deserted places where there was no food and stayed there long after it was possible to get food 
because he was so good at teaching. That was pretty cool. I mean, I know, you know, he multiplied some bread and fish. He was such a good teacher. I mean, just read the Bible. Read, read the whole thing. Read the whole thing. Let me, let me just give you some. Read the whole Bible. Start in the beginning. And I know, have any of you ever, like, started reading, reading, like, maybe a reading plan, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do the, the Bible in a year, and, like, you get, like, through the first month, and then you're like, oh, man, I guess I should probably do that, right? And then you just give up on it. And I just, let me say, I, I don't care if it takes you 12 months or 18 months or three years or 18 years. Just read it. Just read the whole thing. Don't get bogged down. No, no, no condemnation, nothing like that. Just read it because he still teaches us today. In fact, if you want a place, if you have like a, like a real actual Bible like this, it's, some of the Bible apps will do this too, but you go to like the Gospels and read every place in red. Just read all the red. The red places, if you're new to this thing, that's when, that's when Jesus himself was talking. And read all of the red. And just watch Jesus teach you. And I want to show you, he teaches you not only authoritatively and practically, but he also teaches you graphically. Such a good teacher. Here's a, here's a couple of examples. He, see, he would paint pictures and share stories. Jesus would paint pictures. and he would share. Here, here's, here's an example of him painting a picture. Okay, I want you, would you trust me? I want you to close your eyes and... I know that when I tell you to close your eyes, some of you are going to fall asleep, and I, that's on you. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. I want you to close your eyes, if you, if you will. I want you to imagine this. Imagine, like, like, in your left hand, between your thumb and your index finger, you're holding a needle. And it's, it's straight up and down. At the top, there's the eye of the needle right there. Do you, you get that? Do you, do, you, do you see that? That there's a needle you're holding in your hand? And then I want you to see a camel right next to you. Now somehow, I want you to pick that camel up with your hand, and I want you to put that camel through the eye of a needle. Right there. Could you just put it through? Now open up your eyes. What's the one word that comes to mind? Impossible. Impossible. What a graphic picture. And that's how Jesus taught in Matthew 19, he said this, Matthew 19, verse 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, then it goes on. It says this, When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, I mean, according to two-thirds of the world, you are rich if you are below poverty level in this country. If you're living below poverty level in this country, according to two-thirds of the world, you're rich. Did you know that? If you are above poverty level, you are rich according to four-fifths of the world. They consider you rich. And so Jesus is looking here and he's saying, it's, it's impossible without God to get to heaven. But with God, with God, you can go to heaven. Not just a rich man. But how many know that 
that it's hard to trust God with our finances sometimes. How <laughs> I many you know that there's things that we want and there's things that we need and there's bank accounts and budgets and all of this stuff and we're just like, oh my goodness. And, the, and Jesus says, it's almost like trying to put a camel through the eye of a needle if you're not trusting God. If you're just trying to do this whole thing on yourself, if you're just trying to get to, get to heaven on your own, you might as well try to put that camel through the eye of a needle. You want another one? Here's another one. I love this stuff. Just love the Bible. Okay, close your eyes again. Just imagine this. Imagine that you were to go out. I don't know if you have one in your backyard, but maybe like off in, into some, you know, some field, and there's a pine tree. Imagine yourself. You cut down the pine tree. Why don't you cut it down? And then I want you to just cut off all of the branches so you just have the, the trunk and cut off the top, <coughs> cut off the top, and so that it looks like one of those logs that are on like those logging trucks or whatever. Now I want you to pick that log up in your mind, and I want you to just shove it in your eye, shove it right in your eyeball, so that it's sticking out. Okay, you got that. And then with the same analogy, I want you to imagine yourself going up to people, and teaching them how to take the speck of sawdust out of their eye. You got that picture? Jeez, how brilliant is that? He taught so graphically. What an amazing teacher. What an amazing teacher. So he painted pictures and he told stories. Are you guys ready for me to be done yet? My goodness, I feel like I need to keep going. Painted pictures and he told stories. I want to tell you, it's like this. There was a story in Luke chapter 10. And he told stories in such a way that it, it was practical. It, he, he was able to bring in the, the things of society so they understood what he was talking about in, in that culture, in that day and age. And so I imagine these stories, what if he was here today in our culture? So it would be like this. It would be like this. There was a guy driving down 2nd Avenue here in, in Kearney, and his car breaks down. And his car breaks down, and he gets out of his car to go check the issue. And pretty soon, another car pulls up, and a bunch of guys jump out, rob him and stab him, and leave him to die on the side of the road. So pretty soon, the bishop of the, of the Grand Island Diocese is driving by in his limo. He has a limo driver, and he's driving by, and and in his heart, he wants to stop, but the limo driver, he says, you, we can't stop. There's an important meeting we have to get to. There's no way to stop right now. I'm sorry, sir, and they keep driving by. And then pretty soon, a little bit later, this great pastor from Spirit of Life Church, this great pastor from Spirit of Life Church, one of the greatest pastors, sorry, from Spirit of Life Church is driving by. His name's Bo. <laughs> and he really wants to stop too. Really wants to stop. But he's on his way to a really important meeting teaching all of the group leaders how to be compassionate. And so he decides there's just no, I just can't, just can't right now. Too late. Too late for, late for a meeting. A couple minutes later, a single mom is driving by, and she sees 
the car pulled over. She sees the man laying on the side of the road, bleeding half to death. And she quickly pulls the, the car over. She's got her kids crying in the back seat, but she, she figures, oh, who else is going to stop? And she somehow, like, gets this man up and into the front seat of her car, buckles him in, and drives to the emergency room at Good Samaritan Hospital, gets him in there, and she says, whatever it costs, I'll pay the bill. Just let me know. And she gives her, like, contact information. And Jesus told that story, and he said, which one of these is this guy's neighbor? Isn't that amazing? That's huge. Last one, I promise. There was another story in Luke chapter 15. There was a man from Kearney who owned a very successful business. And he lived over in like Rolling Hills Estate, something like that. And, and he owned this very successful business. He had two sons. One of his sons, the younger son, would, uh, he was just, he was a partier. He was, never took anything seriously, just always ran around, did everything opposite of what his dad would always want him to do. And one day when he turned 21 years old, he comes to his father and says, I would, I'd really like to have my um, Edward Jones trust fund right now. And so reluctantly, the father gives him the whole trust fund, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And so he takes all of that, he cashes it, he flies to Las Vegas and spends the entire money on gambling, on prostitutes, on drugs and alcohol and all of this stuff, spends the whole thing, finds himself in a flea bag employment opportunity. And he's, he's in the, the back alley digging for food in the dumpster. And all of a sudden he has this idea the employees that are at the lowest level of my father's company live better than this and eat better than this. And so he decides that he's going to scrape enough money together to buy a Greyhound bus ticket. And on his way back, he's rehearsing this apology, his I'm sorry speech. And he's rehearsing it. The, the, the bus shows up in Kearney right at the bus stop. And instead of calling his dad because he's so ashamed, he just walks the few blocks towards the house. And as he starts to turn onto his dad's street, he sees the house in the distance, and there's a light that goes on, and he sees a door open, and somebody starts running. He couldn't quite make it out, but there was someone running towards him, and pretty soon he starts to find out that this was his dad running towards him. And his dad finally gets there, wraps him in his arms in a big bear hug, and then kisses him. That was awkward. Kisses him and starts to just tell him how he's been waiting, he's been waiting. The son gets his composure and tries to tell him the I'm sorry speech, and the dad wouldn't even hear it, not, not, even, not even a part of it. And they takes him back. He shows his son he had, like, totally redone his bedroom, and there was a brand-new car in the garage. And he gets on the phone, and he's calling all of his friends and all of his son's friends, and they were all coming over for a party to celebrate that his son had come back. Huge. And he would never let his son tell the I'm sorry speech. I love what Robert Morris from Gateway Church says. The father has been working on his welcome home speech longer than you've been working on your I'm sorry speech. 
the greatest teacher ever told that story. I'm telling you, get to know the teacher through his word. As you read, you find he taught with authority, he taught practically, and he taught graphically. Get to know the teacher. Matthew 28, right there at the end of Matthew, Jesus is getting ready to depart, to ascend into heaven, and he says this, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I hear this, and there's a couple things that come to mind. You know, there are people that have a calling on their life, an unction from God that they know clearly that they're supposed to be an evangelist. They're supposed to evangelize the world. It's, it's actually like a setting apart, like God says, you're an evangelist. We have people in our room, like, like our friend Keith Becker over here who's an evangelist. But you know, even though that he's an evangelist, it doesn't let me off the hook of sharing the gospel and making disciples. Like, that, that was a commandment for all of us, right? You know, in the same way, there's people in this room that have a gift to teach. Gift to teach. I'm looking all across here. I see people in this room that have a gift to teach. And even though you have a gift to teach and there's somebody else in this room that doesn't have a gift to teach, you know what I read here in this? That it doesn't let you off the hook that there's your children in your house, there's your neighbor next door, there's somebody in your workplace, there's at least one other person that in the same way that you're supposed to make disciples of all nations, he's saying here, and teaching them to obey everything. I've commanded you. Would you let the teacher teach you? And then would you take up the calling to even one person? And just like Jesus did, would you teach? Would you teach that person everything that he's commanded you? I want you to sit there as Pastor Kelly's coming and the, and the team, and, and I want you to take a moment, if, you, if you're willing, at least bow your hearts, if not your heads. And This question, what's the Lord telling you through this message right now? What would he be telling you? As you're hearing about what I believe is the greatest teacher ever of all time, and you hear how Jesus taught. He taught with authority. He taught practically. He taught graphically, told great stories and painted pictures. As you hear this, what's he telling you? He may be telling some of you that it's time to finally actually pick up the word again and get into it. Maybe he's challenging you to read all the red letters this week and let the greatest teacher ever teach you. Maybe he's challenging your heart to get right with him. Maybe you've been a far way off in your heart like that prodigal son and he's wanting to close that relational gap. Maybe he's wanting to instill compassion like that single mother of two that stopped to help the man in Second Avenue. Maybe you're seeing some of these examples of how he taught practically, and you're like, you know what? I've got a huge log sticking out of my eye, and I need to deal with it. And so, Lord, right now, 
Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would, in your, the way you only know how, in the spirit of wisdom and revelation, would you just show us right now, what are you teaching us through this message? Why don't you just take like 30 seconds here.